Community Cats podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats Podcast. I am your host, Stacey LeBaron. I have been helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The purpose of this podcast is to expose you to great people who are helping cats daily, and hopefully you may learn a little bit more about what you might do in your community. Today, we are speaking with Marnie Russ of the National Kitten Coalition. She's a coalition founder, board member, director of communications, and instructor. Marnie has been fostering neonatal kittens for over a decade, specializing in critical care neonates and high-risk nursing expectant queens. She's the volunteer neonatal care coordinator at Washington Humane Society in Washington, D.C., helping to advance the neonatal foster program and teaches monthly classes on neonatal care. Recent awards received by Marnie include Volunteer of the Year from the Animal Welfare League of Arlington, received in 2015. Marnie is a seasoned animal advocate who has previously worked for the ASPCA traveling across the country working with shelters as well as state and local governments to advance animal welfare policy. She's also worked closely with the Humane Society of the United States and Fox Hollow Animal Project, one of the nation's premier spay-neuter programs. Aside from her work in animal advocacy, Marnie is the president and CEO of Rocky Mountain Capital Consulting. She annually travels to third world countries assisting in international spay-neuter projects to help impact the lives of street animals in underserved areas. Marnie splits her time between Arlington, Virginia and Missoula, Montana. Tana. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Stacey. I'm excited to be here. Why don't we just jump right into our questions? And can you just fill me in on how you got started in this business? Absolutely. I actually, when I first started my company, I was working from home and I thought that it would be a good idea to walk over to the animal shelter and, and volunteer there during the lunchtime and during some of the daytime hours where volunteers might not be as plentiful. And at the time, that was the Animal Welfare League of Arlington. They were just starting their foster program. And so I just offered. And then they talked about bottle babies. And I thought, that couldn't possibly be a thing. It's way too cute. And it certainly was. And I was um, one of their first bottle baby fosters and have been involved with them ever since. Um, and I just... I, it. After my first bottle baby, you know, you have you lose some and you get over it and you save some. And once you save them, you're hooked for life as far as I'm concerned. And that was certainly my experience. And so that was probably 18 years ago. So you are an expert in neonatal bottle babies. I have learned, I've been able to learn a lot from a lot of good people. Fantastic. When you started, who did you turn to for help? Well, I had a, a wonderful vet in Montana, Alan Appleberry. He um, he really walked me through the basics that probably any licensed vet tech would know: tube feeding, sub Q fluids, um, the immediate needs of of critical kittens. Um, and once I got comfortable in that, I just worked with all the shelters and the vets. And it was at a time where. And I think the case is still true that most vets never see neonatal kittens in vet school because they have never been necessarily a, a client in their clinics. So well, most of the vets I work with now will call me and say, you know, we this is what we have. Have you seen this? So it's not based on as much on the medical aspects of it, but the lessons learned aspect of it. So just having wonderful people willing to try things and and getting a hands-on experience is really what's brought me to where I am right now. How do how do people come across neonatal kittens? You would be surprised. 
almost anything that you can think of. Most people um, will find them out in the out in the grass alone by themselves. And one of the things that at, we work with Alley Cat Allies and a lot of the major rescues to get the the word out nationally is that if you see kittens and they are curled up and not crying and they probably have a feral mom, that mom is out getting resources, you know, getting food and, and eating. If the kittens are crying, they're in distress, which would indicate that perhaps the mom hasn't been there. Um, but a lot of people mean very well and bring those sleeping healthy chubby kittens into the shelter and then the shelters then have to to look out for them a lot um, we often see mothers who are killed after childbirth or a couple weeks after they have their kittens and are no longer able to care for them some mothers have um, their kittens and may have a retained fetus or some sort of issue that gets them sick to the point that they can't care for their kittens. We've basically seen everything. <laughs> so, um, but yet we still see new things every year. One thing I'll ask you in terms of, of how this all you know, impacts community cats, I, I know a, a hot conversation is talking about, you know, if you have a, a feral uh, female cat brought into a spay and neuter clinic and whether or not you should spay that cat or not, it's a pretty hot topic. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And, and people um, there have very strong opinions about it. And I don't necessarily know that one is right or wrong. My personal opinion is if you have a nursing mom and the kittens are, you know, have had a very good run if they're three weeks or four weeks old, you take the mom away and spay her because when are you going to have that opportunity again? My biggest fear is these are obviously well populating queens and they're very good at their job. They'll have kittens continually unless you sterilize them when you have the opportunity. Um, but a lot of times rescues that I work with will keep them with the mother and keep the mother in a, in a feral cage that's closed off. Most of the time mothers will let you manipulate the kittens. You can never touch them, but then the best case scenario is to keep the kittens with the mamas as long as possible. I would never re-release one though, because it's, it's, they're so hard to get. And then once they know what a trap's going to do, your chances of getting them again, just decrease. So you're strongly advocating if you do trap a pregnant feral cat to not release that cat. Yeah, that's what I would do. I mean, I, I, I respect other people's opinions on that. And they also have the best, best interests of the cat. But but for me, yeah, once you have them in hand, it's so difficult to get them, you need to be able to sterilize them. It's better for the kittens, it's better for the mom, and it's better for the population. So you're talking about a, a specific cage. Um, are you talking about a feral cat recovery cage? Yeah, like the, yeah, we use those, you know, a lot of times I have, and as a matter of fact, just uh, recently, we, we had an instance where a mom was trapped and went into labor and had the babies in the trap. And she was very feral. So they brought her to my house in the trap and I would set off the, I put her in one of my guest bathrooms and I just closed the bathtub with the shower curtain. So she had a quiet space that was, and she would let me weigh the kittens. Um, one of them had been injured. His foot had gotten caught in the trap. I don't know if it was in transport or during birth, but he had a pretty serious foot injury, so I was taking him to the vet to get lasered and help that heal in a way that we didn't have to do surgery later. And, you know, the mom was never okay with me. I never touched her. I never interacted with her. I think she was incredibly grateful for the amount of, of good food that came on a regular basis. And then I, you know, then we took the kittens, adopted them out, and had her fixed and re-returned. Can you tell me a bit more about some of the projects that you're working on, including the National Kitten Coalition? It sounds like you're involved in a lot of other projects, too, and, and how they all impact community cats. 
Yeah, actually, myself and two other women created National Kitten Coalition a few years back. We both had a history previously. They had been doing feline outreach, rescue, and education, based, basing um, their efforts on education and workshops to ha- on how to treat kittens and how to increase survival rates of rescue kittens. And I had been working with the ASPCA and specializing a lot in TNR and um, creating a database to save kittens. Um, so we just sort of came together. We met, we'd known each other, obviously, through the circles for years. And we just talked about what we thought long-term neonatal kittens needed. They're getting a lot of attention now in the animal community as shelters look to increase their uh, live release rates. The number one, a lot of people don't realize this, but the number one most euthanized animals in shelters are neonatal kittens. If you're trying to raise your live release rate, you really need to address the needs of getting these babies in and saving them. And that can't be done without foster programs and education. So we travel around the country and we speak at national conferences and we work with all of the major shelter medicine programs to stay up to date on advancements in animal advocacy and neonatal kitten care. And we're bringing all of that together to be National Kitten Coalition, just so we're a resource for people all over the country in, in how to care for these tiny kittens. As their protocols develop, we disseminate that information and share it with the community. We're also in the process of putting together a database so that if someone in your community, no matter where that is, if it's in Nebraska, in Montana, in Kansas, uh, if you were to find a neonatal kitten, you could type your zip code in and we would be able to tell you where a safe place to take that bottle baby would be. It's no guarantee that they will have capacity, but it, it will eliminate basically all the shelters that euthanize on intake. That's an excellent, excellent idea. And I'm just processing in my mind, trying to think through, you know, when when we run into or have in the past when I was running the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society, running into our bottle babies, you know, it was it's always a, a crazy panic, uh, you know, trying to find somebody who can e- at least stop gap the situation and, and to handle the kittens for a while until somebody else can get them more long term. It's really a fancy dance that you do have to do at that foster home level for those kittens. Oftentimes, the staff member will do it for a night until they can get in touch with an appropriate foster home. But I think about what if you were just, you know, walking down the street and as you said, you come across a, you know, a pile of mewing little curled up kittens. How would I know what to do in that situation? We have conversations with people almost every day from all over the country on our Facebook page. They'll find one and they'll say, we were directed to you. I, I, I'm sure they Googled kittens and our name came up and they're like, what do we do? And a lot of them really want to try it. So one other thing we do is we collect, we collect collect resources and products for kits that we can give to shelters to give to people. If they're not going to do it, then we give them a kit that they can hand to the people and say, here are basic instructions. Here's basic care elements. This is what you need and and good luck. And, you know, obviously reach out to National Kitten Coalition. They can walk you through things. Kittens are so susceptible to little things that aren't a big deal with adult cats like diarrhea that can kill them in, you know, a day, a day and a half. And so we have quick, easy fixes to, to stop those um, issues before they start or to, to get them before they get too bad. So really, it's just a matter, a matter of disseminating the information to people that, that want to do it. And and like you said, you know, you get those babies and they don't have, they can't wait till Monday. You know, you can't find one Saturday and say, well, I'll find, I'll find a place for it on Monday because, you know, they need constant care. And now let's take a moment to listen to a few words from our sponsors. 
The Community Cats podcast is generously sponsored by the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society, one of the nation's pioneers in successful TNR programs. In 1992, in response to a persistent feral and homeless cat population along the Merrimack River in Newburyport, MRFRS began a concerted effort to trap, sterilize, and return a colony of over 300 cats, setting up and maintaining feral feeding stations. That colony was successfully reduced to zero cats by 2008. Today, MRFRS's activities include two mobile, low-cost spay-neuter vans known as the Catmobile, an adoption program with a focus on special needs and hard-to-place cats, veterinary assistance programs for low-income individuals as well as unowned cats, and mentoring for local animal welfare organizations seeking to improve their TNR effectiveness. For more information, visit www.mrfrs.org. One other thing we've always ran into when individuals were trying to help kittens, oftentimes the kittens were infested with fleas. What are your recommendations on uh, flea treatment for neonatals? I use Dawn soap and I just water. Because, you know, the the minute you submerse a cat in water, those fleas jump off. And their bodies are usually so small that even if it looks like they're totally infested, they are able to you're able to pick them off fairly quickly. Going back to that same feral mom I told you about that I had in my bathroom, her kittens were absolutely covered. Um, and so I just, I dipped, I washed, I washed all of them in Dawn and then I did treat the mom because she, that was obviously a source and it wouldn't make sense just to do her, <laughs> do them and not her. Um, so we were able to get to her just in, enough to put some topical on. So you used a topical rather than an internal Right. Yeah. Just because a topical, I could make sure she got it in. Um, and, and quite frankly, that's what I, all I had at that time. I think it was a Saturday night at like midnight. <laughs> so, so yeah, so we were able to treat her and I never saw a flea again. So it was, at first it was a little bit frightening. It was a little bit shocking and jarring, the number of them, but literally you put them in the water and those fleas just dash off. I'm sure another thing that you have to address when you're working with foster homes is the possibility that they may not survive. We've run through failure to thrive scenarios, parasite issues that haven't been able to be resolved and those kinds of things. How do you handle that from a support type of uh, component? Well, you know, that's really up to the shelter. Um, they will have their own protocols and what they do and whatever kit, wherever my kittens come from, whatever shelter I or whatever foster I'm working with, I, I go by the guidelines of the shelter. But mostly what I do is I am available 24 seven. You know, if a kitten's not doing well, I will say, you know, bring it to me. I'll take it for until it's stable. And if it passes, it's with me. If they lose it on their watch, then it's just a lot of mentoring and staying in touch and, and making it a positive experience. I mean, I really feel like uh, you're able to, to turn any of these things into a positive. And it's just a matter of helping, helping the people that are doing that see it. I mean, I know how hard it was for me the first one I lost. And, and you get over it and you realize what, you know, what it is that you did for that cat, even though it didn't make it, it had a lot more than it would have. So focusing on that and sharing stories and putting in a support group for all fosters, you know, most of the rescues I work with have foster Facebook pages and um, they'll have a, a neonatal person on call. I know I'm the neonatal person on call for Washington Humane and uh, AW Arlington. And so, you know, I think that ha just having resources for those people takes a little bit of the fear out of it. And that's really what National Kitten Coalition strives to do is, is engage people to do this by taking the fear out of it. Excellent. If somebody wanted to become a foster home, what would be your recommendation? Well, I would say talk to, the, to your local shelter. 
and see if they do. I mean, quite frankly, bottle baby fosters and kitten fosters are usually the number one biggest need in shelters. Um, there's usually requires quite a bit of training, but it's amazing information to have. And uh, if it's something that intrigues you, it's a lifetime learning event. And as, as things progress and as you learn more, it's just it's kind of addicting. So the shelters that are in your area usually will welcome anybody who wants to do a neonatal kitten care. We work with an amazing cat clinic here in Virginia, um, Nova Cat Clinic, and and a, a woman there who is a very active LVT, and she wrote up a protocol for fading kitten syndrome that has, it's, it's amazing, and it's really helped our rate of success with kittens. When I first started, I think 40% you could expect to pass, and now, you know, you rarely, rarely lose kittens, and it's because we have that amazing resource, and and so we share all the protocols that we have had success with. Then we also ask folks that have had success with certain things to share with us. Basically, we're a, a clearinghouse for information. As far as getting involved with it, your shelter is going to be able to help. You definitely want guidance from them and support because vet care can be very expensive and the shelters would be able to offer that for you. I don't know how else you would do it. Unless, you know, feel free to reach out to National Kitten Coalition if there's an area that you're interested in. We can hook you up with folks that we know. We pretty much have places all over the country that are getting involved with it. And a lot of the, the thing that one great thing that we've noticed over the last few years is a lot of people are starting to take kittens into work with them. You know, I mean, especially when they're really young, all they do is eat, sleep and poop. So <laughs> you bottle feed a baby and three hours later, you know, you just stick them in a corner. I mean, they don't run around. They don't, <laughs> they don't do a ton. So they're really, really easy to handle. Yeah. I've seen people, you know, just carrying them around in their little decorative baskets and stuff. And yeah. You know. Yeah. And it's a great way to get them adopted too. <laughs> And you become very popular at work, from what I understand. Yeah, our bottle feeding foster homes, and we've been doing it since 1992. I don't think we've ever had bottle fed kittens actually make it into the shelter because they have always found homes before it was their time. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just amazing. And it's so fun to see little kids, children see them for the first time or people that didn't even know what cats looked like when they were two weeks old. And you just can't be in a bad mood around a kitten. It really, it, it seems like a lot of work. And my friends, always ask me they're like oh aren't you so glad you don't have kittens and really something is missing when I don't have kittens it's for me it's not work it's it's just what I do it's part of what your household is like yeah absolutely if so if people wanted to reach out to you and to the coalition they should just go to your website we do have a website at kittencoalition.org and we have a very active Facebook page so that would be a great place to, to reach out to us. If you emailed us with a question, we respond almost immediately. There are several of us that cover that. Um, we also just recently named a kitten ambassador to um, National Kitten Coalition. Her name is Little Rue Russ because I adopted her. But she is one, a little kitten that was born without elbows. And she's another kitten that if they she would have gone into any other shelter, she probably would have been put down because she is going to require more resources and probably physical therapy. But she she, we're learning and sharing her story as we go, and she's just phenomenal. She just walks around like a little kangaroo because she doesn't have front elbows. We had a, a similar case uh, with a cat, I believe, named Marmalade. Actually, the kitty flew to Chicago for a couple of surgeries. Very successful. So. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah, you know, we're really just learning with her. It seems to be a unique genetic situation that she has a congenital issue. And it's just one leg. It's not, I think there's something called twisty cats. I mean, people have been very forthcoming with information of things that they've had. We've heard from people all over the world. 
um, about it. And people have shared kittens like her that they own. So it's just been phenomenal. And it's just been a great way to learn. And she's we named her our ambassador. And she has a Facebook page with, I think, almost 2,000 friends. And we're hoping to see how she grows and how we can help make her life better and share that information. These stories are just all so wonderful. And um, over the 18 years you've been involved, there's probably thousands of pages of stories that, you know, we come across every every cat and every kitten has a story. Is there anything else that you'd want to share with our listeners for anybody who's interested and concerned about cats in their community? We're able to, to share a great amount of resources that are national resources to help community cats. Some um, counties and municipalities have policies that are are, are, I guess, scary for kitten, for, for community cats. And, and there are ways to, to start conversations with developing a policy in your community that will, will help protect them. And we're more than happy to share any information we have about that, but we're just happy to help anybody who wants to help animals. And the more people who can get involved and the more people who share their insights with us and vice versa, we're happy to do it. Marty, thank you so much for agreeing to be a guest on my show. And I look forward to having you back again sometime. Absolutely. It's my pleasure, Stacey. Thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for listening to the Community Cats podcast. I would really appreciate it if you could go to iTunes and leave a review of the show. If you email me a screenshot of your review with your name and address and your t-shirt size, I will send you a Community Cats t-shirt. The reviews really help. Thanks, everybody. Wow.